Hello and welcome to Vegas Odds Football. I am your host, Daniel Ocho. In this episode, I am going to be talking about the NFC West. We're going to be previewing the divisional over-under win totals, player props, just a complete breakdown of the NFC West. We're going to be talking about who the new players are in that division, who the departures are, and how I think the stats seem to indicate this division is going to shake out this year. So without further ado, let's jump in. All right, here we are. The next in our divisional preview is the NFC West. The NFC West has been one of the more competitive divisions in football over the last 10 years. We see a lot of parity in this division with teams sort of hopping up to the top. Last year, we thought maybe the Cardinals may have been the class of this division the first half of the year, only to have the other two teams uh, that were competing at the time, the Niners and the Rams, appear in the NFC title game. This division had three playoff teams last year, and I'm going to start by breaking down the first of these playoff teams, and that is the Arizona Cardinals. The Arizona Cardinals over-under this year is set at nine games. And before we address the over-under, I want to just briefly run through some of the losses this team has seen in the offseason, some of the additions they brought in, uh, and just some big-picture thoughts on what the Cardinals look like going into this year. So first off, some of the losses. The Cardinals lose Chandler Jones uh, to Las Vegas, their primary edge rusher with J.J. Watt missing a lot of time last season. They lose Christian Kirk, probably the second most important receiver on that team last year. He single-handedly broke the wide receiver free agent market in Jacksonville. Uh, Chase Edmonds, starting running back somewhat, who was splitting time with James Conner last year, goes to Miami. DeAndre Hopkins is suspended the first six games of this season with a performance-enhancing drug suspension. Uh, they lose two defensive linemen, or two defensive starters at least, Corey Peters on the D-line and then inside linebacker Jordan Hicks. Uh, but it's not all bad news for the Cardinals. They bring in Hollywood Brown in a trade from the Ravens, former college teammate of Kyler Murray's. They bring in Trey McBride, perhaps the best pure receiving tight end in this year's draft uh, out of Colorado State. Now, just big picture, when I'm thinking about this Cardinals team, a few things to keep in mind. With Chandler Jones gone, I think this Cardinals team is really going to blitz the shit out of teams because this is a team that finished top five in basically every rushing category last year in terms of rushing with more than four base down linemen, rushing six or more players, sending defensive backs on blitzes. They're near the top of the league in all those statistics. And now when you lose your primary edge rusher, you're going to have no choice but to make pressure in ways you otherwise didn't need to last year. Uh, with the talent they had outside with Chandler Jones, that sort of one-on-one -on -one matchup breaker gone, you're, you're going to see Vance Joseph attempt to manufacture uh, defense and, and pressures in any way he can. So while that can work, usually the defenses we see rely on those pressure packages or, or rely a lot on blitzes, especially in this modern NFL where all these quarterbacks are so freaking good at just dissecting uh, blitzes pre-snap and destroying defenses on those. I'm not sure how this defense, just from a personnel standpoint, may stack up uh, beyond just the schematics of this team. I'm looking at the Cardinals attempting to replace two defensive starters with two third round picks, Cameron Thomas from San Diego State and then Majai Sanders from Cincinnati. They're, they're bringing in two third round picks and they are expecting these guys to sort of slot in and contribute automatically. And that's not something I ever really buy into. And the reason is simple. A, a lot of times teams buy into filling out defensive starting positions with rookies and they need to, they face no other option. 
But for the most part, even if these players who they're slotting into these positions may turn into really great contributors as NFL players, as a rookie, it's really hard to assume that any player at any defensive starting position, unless you're like a first round top 10 to top 25 talent, that you're going to be an automatic starter day one contributor. So guys in the third round, the hit percentage of guys who are slotting into as defensive starters from the third round of the draft is not astronomically high. So I must say that from a pure personnel perspective, I expect regression from this Cardinals team. Beyond personnel, beyond schematics, I look at some of the statistics underlying this defensive success last year. And those are, they were top five in takeaways. Uh, They really did a lot just taking the ball away from teams last year. They were really good at short yardage run defense. So they were able to prevent teams from converting in those high leverage short yardage situations. Uh, And those are two stats that don't really translate typically year to year. And when I say they don't translate, what I mean is usually when we see teams excel in these areas, year to year, we see a lot of regression. So all of these defensive stats are the reason why I'm not keen on this defense going into this year. So from a pure offensive statistics perspective, you may look at my expectations and the statistical indicators of this defense taking a step back and think maybe this offense will produce more or be forced to produce more because they're put in a position where they may be on the field more. They may be in a situation where they're playing catch up from time to time or trying to stay in these games just with offensive scheming. And in that regard, they bring back Kyler Murray, who just signed a tremendous, huge contract, making him one of the highest paid quarterbacks in the league. Uh, They have Cliff Kingsbury here, who has managed to have this team exceed their prior year's win total in each of his three seasons as a coach. So this is a team that's been getting better over the last several years. There's no denying that. But I can't help take into account what the Cardinals have done over the back half of the last two years and be really doubtful of their ability, both from Kingsbury and from Kyler Murray, to sustain offensive success over the full course of the season. And I think this is a multifaceted issue because Cliff Kingsbury seems to really enjoy these stagnant, spread out offensive units or or these personnel groupings. He doesn't like much off-ball movement. The Cardinals typically rank near the bottom of the league every year in off-ball movement. And Kyler Murray is a guy who... I just think he may lack the physicality to hold up for an entire NFL season. He's been the September MVP for two years in a row now, and we've seen him crash back to earth in the second half of the season two years in a row. It seems to be that over the course of the the first half of the season, Kyler's body breaks down and doesn't take much of like a major injury for Kyler to really turn from what we believe to be this dynamic superstar quarterback into a more middle-of-the-road conservative player. Um, it's a lot like Russell Wilson. When you're limited with your height the way that Kyler Murray and Russell Wilson are, any limitations to your mobility automatically robs you from almost the entire center of the field because you just simply can't see over these offensive linemen. So that is a problem for the Cardinals. It's a problem for Kyler, uh, not to mention all the underlying bad juju that Cardinals offseason has given off with this Kyler drama. On top of Kyler demanding a $250 million contract, the Cardinals seemed reticent to give him that contract based from what we heard behind the scenes that 
this guy wasn't much of a leader. Uh, he was pouting on the sidelines. We all saw that in the Rams uh, playoff loss last year. But on top of that, just yesterday, we see this contract term uh, come out from Kyler's new major contract that he is required to watch four hours of film per week and he can't play video games while he's doing it. Now, I don't know about you, if my favorite NFL team had to require that our franchise quarterback watch four hours of film per week and that he couldn't play video games while he did it, I would be losing my mind because that's just the kind of stuff that screams red flags to me. I don't buy into Kyler Murray turning things around this year and taking this Cardinals team to the next level. If anything, I see this team falling back to earth. So that's why... For all the reasons I just mentioned, I think this Cardinals team is going to go under their projected win total of nine and a half for the pure reason that the Cardinals just can't put it together over the long term. They're due for some regression in stats like takeaway rate and uh, short yards defensibility or converting those short yards defensive situations. Um, and I just don't buy that Hollywood Brown is going to be able to sustain this offense as a number one receiver and allow this offense to really hit the highs that we've seen it hit with DeAndre Hopkins over the last two years. And by the time DeAndre Hopkins comes back, this Cardinals team may be in trouble. On top of all these things I just mentioned, the Cardinals are going to play a tough schedule this year. They have the hardest schedule increase in their division, according to Sharp Football Analysis. So now I want to briefly talk about a few props that I think are going to be really great if you're looking at, at Cardinals player props or just divisional props. First off, to begin, I, I love the Cardinals to finish third in the NFC West at plus 180. We'll talk about this in a little bit greater detail later in this podcast, but if you even somewhat believe in Trey Lance uh, in the Niners and if you believe that the Rams can stay somewhat healthy, I think this is a bet to hammer because I think the Niners and Rams are both better than the Cardinals. I think the Seahawks are decidedly worse than the Cardinals. And I think that the Seahawks may actually be shooting for a bottoming out season where they're, they're competing for five wins. So if you believe those things, I don't see why you wouldn't want to dabble or throw a little money on the Cardinals to finish third in the NFC West at plus 180. I think the odds are too good to, to pass up. My next prop for the Cardinals is Hollywood Brown over 895 and a half receiving yards. I know that I mentioned before Hollywood Brown may not be able to sustain this offense to be the superstar that they, they need here, but I'm banking on the relationship between Kyler Murray, that college relationship. And beyond that, I just think there's just too many vacated targets within this offense for this partnership not to work. We're seeing all the Christian Kirk targets vacated. We're seeing DeAndre Hopkins missing six games. So for all my own gripes about Hollywood Brown as a player, my criticisms of him so far in his career, he did very well last year. He really took a step forward and became a reliable receiver for Lamar Jackson. And I think at the very least, he should hit 900 yards. Christian Kirk hit 950 yards last year, and he was playing in the shadow for New Hopkins for most of the year. So Hollywood should be able to hit that over 895 and a half yards this year and cash that ticket for you. Finally, my last Cardinals prop bet, James Conner under nine and a half rushing touchdowns. And I'm banking on regression here. James Conner had a preposterous 15 rushing touchdowns last year. And I'm a Steelers fan. I watched a lot of him, his, his years in Pittsburgh. I don't like to bet on guys injury, but I don't see how Conner now that Edmonds has left the Cardinals backfield. And now that he's expected to sort of take on that bell cow role, I don't see him staying healthy over the course of a full season. And I think he needs to stay healthy and sort of, continue to convert those high leverage short yardage conversions at a high clip, uh, an unsustainable clip in order to go over this rushing total. So I'm big on James Conner under nine and a half rushing touchdowns this year for all the reasons I just mentioned. 
Let's move on now to the Los Angeles Rams. The Super Bowl champions, their projection this year is over under 10 and a half games. So let's run through the same stats I talked about before. Von Miller is gone. Odell Beckham is gone. Andrew Whitworth is gone. Basically, their whole defensive line besides uh, Aaron Donald is gone. Sony Michelle, gone. Robert Woods, gone. Uh, Troy Reader, gone. They, they lose three offensive line starters, but it's not all bad news with the Rams. They bring in Allen Robinson, a former Super Superstar wide receiver. Uh, they bring in Bobby Wagner, the former franchise linebacker for the Seattle Seahawks. They bring in Troy Hill at corner. As we all know, this is a team that has really gone all in on these undervalued veterans. So Allen Robinson, Bobby Wagner, they really fit the bill of what this team has been trying to build over the last several years. Um, they didn't have a draft pick until the third round. They use it on an offensive guard, uh, Logan Bruss from Wisconsin. So this is a team that is relying on this stars and studs mantra. Some people who play fantasy football, if you do auction, you may be using this in your own team. And we're sort of seeing this now used at the highest level of football, which is interesting to see, but it does bring to mind what the worst case scenario of that roster construction uh, ideology can result in sometimes. And usually we'll see that with if a player gets hurt, you don't have that depth. You don't have that youth to have an, a really usable guy step in and, and step up and, and not miss a beat. So with the way this Rams roster has been constructed, I'm a little bit worried about depth. What I love about this Rams team is the fact that they're bringing back Raheem Morris, the defensive coordinator. Raheem Morris is a very, very well-versed former head coach in the NFL. He's, he's popped around the league for years, and he did a phenomenal job with this defense. I think that I was a little bit surprised that he didn't actually see more head coaching opportunities open up for him last year after the Rams Super Bowl, but I'm pretty high on Raheem Morris's ability to make use of the stars this Rams defense brings back in terms of Aaron Donald, the generational defensive talent, Jalen Ramsey, and I think that Bobby Wagner automatically slots into the best inside linebacker the Rams have had maybe since they moved to LA. I think definitely since they moved to LA, even if that guy has lost a step. I'm a little less high on Allen Robinson. I went back and watched a lot of the tape on Allen Robinson. I know people seem to think he made a conscious effort to quit on his team last year. And I sort of saw that, uh, but I don't really like that in my players. I'm not high on guys who quit on their teams typically, unless you're Randy Moss, who was able to do it and then catch 23 touchdowns the next year. But Look at a guy like Kenny Galladay. Kenny Galladay was really hot dogging it at the end of his time with the Lions. And ultimately, he ends up sucking when he goes to a new team the next year when he cashes in that big payday. I think that despite all my concerns about the, the depth with the Rams and my concerns about Allen Robinson maybe slotting in there to replace Odell Beckham, what I like is that they have guys like Van Jefferson who should be able to step in and continue to grow and develop as receivers. I think Van Jefferson was a really strong young player last year, and I'm excited to see what he does in taking the next step as a receiver. On top of all this, I just am really high on what Sean McVay and Matt Stafford seem to build over the course of last season. Stafford is who he is at this point of his career. He's a freakish talent. Uh, he loves to push the ball downfield. And I think that that ability to push the ball downfield really opens up a lot of options, really expands the menu for Sean McVay in terms of what he can do in getting creative on offense. Now, we all hype Sean McVay up as this offensive guru, but this is the same guy who in the Super Bowl was just running the ball over and over and over again with a, a running back who was averaging 2.5 yards per carry. So for all his creativity, 
even the immortal and an iconic Sean McVay has his own flaws. But nonetheless, I am buying the Rams to come back from a Super Bowl win and maybe establish themselves as the class of the NFC this year. They have the stars. They have the Super Bowl title now. I think they're going to go on an ass-kicking tour and hit that over 10.5 win total. Um, I think they could be the number one seed. I'm looking around this conference, and I don't see a team that I'm higher on than the Rams uh, if all things break right. So let's briefly talk a little bit about props for this team. I just have one prop that really sort of expands into a few others, and that's Cam Akers, all his unders. Every under you can get on Cam Akers, I'm high on it. Why am I high on this amazing story, this great story of a guy who came back from an almost impossible injury to come back to? He played in the Super Bowl. He wasn't very good, but, you know, he, he showed a little life before that. I think Cam Akers is a guy who dealt with injuries prior to this Achilles tear. And on top of that, it's not fun to bet against a cool story, right? It's not fun to bet the under on a guy who has this sort of coming back from an impossible injury story. But you know what is fun? Making money. Making money is fun. So I'm betting against the guy with a previously debilitating injury for running backs. Even Deonta Foreman, who is a guy who had that Achilles tear previously, it took him a few years. He was almost out of the league before he got another opportunity uh, to come back from that Achilles tear. So I'm all in on betting Cam Akers unders this year. Under his projected eight and a half total touchdowns, rushing touchdowns. Under his projected 950 and a half rushing yards. That's where I lie on this. I, I don't see how you can confidently bet either of those unless you're just purely writing some some NFL, Disney story, uh, feel-good movie. But as anyone who bets on football knows, those stories don't exist when it comes to betting on the NFL. There are no happy endings, and most of the time, this is just all bad news. So be smart. Don't, don't let the books talk you into this feel-good story and bet all the unders on Cam Akers ahead of the season. Next up, I want to talk about the San Francisco 49ers. Their over-under is 10 games. This is a team that played the Rams and maybe should have made the Super Bowl last year with Jimmy Garoppolo. They lose a few guys. They lose Lakin Tomlinson to the Jets. They lose Raheem Mostert, DJ Jones, and Arden Key in the front seven. Uh, they're soon to lose Jimmy Garoppolo. At the time of this recording, he has not been traded yet. Uh, they bring in Charvarius Ward at corner, Orjan Burge at linebacker, um, they have no first-round pick, so they use their second-round pick on a defensive end, Drake Jackson, from USC. Then in the third round, they bring in two skill players. They bring in Tyrion Davis-Price, the running back from LSU, and then Danny Gray, the wide receiver from SMU, who was getting some hype pre-draft as being a sort of underrated guy. What I like about this team, looking at, at the Niners going into this season, if you look at some of the underlying metrics from last year, they shouldn't have even done as well as they did. They shouldn't have been in the NFC title game. They shouldn't have been a dropped interception away from the Super Bowl. And the reason for that is because they were the third most injured team last season after being the most injured team the prior year. So over the last two seasons, there's been only one game where the Niners have had their quarterback one, their running back one, their tight end one, and their wide receiver one and wide receiver two all starting. So that is how injured this team has been. They can't get their full offensive unit out there. They've got it out for one game in two years. When looking at this roster coming into this year, we have to expect that there's going to be some regression in that regard. And listen, you could say that the Niners' injury luck uh, could have regressed for the last five years, could have regressed to the mean, could have regressed to a more normal level where they weren't losing a bunch of starters every year. And you would have been wrong every year. But I have to think, and, and I'm going to be optimistic about this, I'm going to say that this is the year the Niners don't lose their entire roster to injury. 
And on top of that, some of the other teams in their division have had much better injury luck. So the Rams in particular last year were the least injured team or one of the least injured teams in the NFL. So if some of that injury luck sways one way or another, we could see a situation where a Rams team that didn't have a lot of depth to them is now fighting for a division title against a Niners team that has historically been injured, but finally puts it all together. So I'll mention this a little bit more in my prop section, but I really think the Niners are due for some good luck on the injury front. Any assessment of the Niners really turns on whether you believe in Trey Lance. And so far, I think the general consensus is no. People watched him play last year. He looked very raw, but he was always going to be a project quarterback. What you were looking at really was his skill set, not necessarily his ability to process the field at an NFL level yet, but in his games that he gets to start, he looked very much the part as an NFL rusher. Uh, he showed flashes in his last start against the Texans as, as of being a really competent NFL passer, especially in the second half of that game. But to me, I think any Niners bet on their over-under or, or their outcome this year is one of the riskier bets on the board because the variance between whether Trey Lance is going to be a competent quarterback or not is so high. And Trey Lance is really the biggest issue or the biggest determinant of how this Niners season goes. If Trey Lance is subpar, I could see this Niners team very much going under, winning seven or seven or eight games. But if he is good, if he is as advertised an above average quarterback who really opens up some of this Kyle Shanahan playbook, we could be looking at a, at a Niners team that's making another run at a Super Bowl run. I didn't know where to go with this. I didn't know where to end up on the Trey Lance issue. But one thing that gave me some guidance here is that Trey Lance falls into a really opportunistic situation this year. Just by virtue of playing four of his first six games as an NFL starter uh, against some of the worst teams in the NFL. So he plays the Tanking Bears, the Seahawks, the Panthers, and the Falcons all within his first six games. Obviously, he plays the Chiefs and the Rams within that six-game period too, so it's not all coming up aces for Trey Lance, but I will say that that's about as soft landing as you can give to a young quarterback in the league, especially a raw young guy like Trey Lance. So assuming that Trey Lance can take advantage of some of these soft starting positions, some of these bad teams he's going to be playing early in the year to hopefully build strong habits and have his coach and that coaching staff coach him up and build him into a confident starting quarterback because that confidence is really important for these young guys. I'm buying into Trey Lance and I'm buying into the Niners going over their projected win total of 10 games. Now let's talk briefly about prop bets. For the Niners, I, I said this a little bit before, but I think there's a lot of value in picking the Niners to win the NFC West just by virtue of the fact that the Rams were very lucky injury-wise last year. Typically, those stats do not follow from year to year. Teams do not typically have good or bad injury luck from year to year, except the Niners thus far. If you think the bill comes finally due for this Niners team in terms of how they've constructed their roster, uh, trading a lot of first-round picks, lacking that depth in favor of the Stars and Studs approach, I think the Niners to win the NFC West at plus 175 is a fun, smaller, long-shot play here. And I also, in that same vein, my next prop for the Niners is Trey Lance over five and a half rushing touchdowns at minus 120. So Trey Lance, even in his limited playing time last year, really looked good to me as a rusher. Uh, he was a little reckless with how he put his head down sometimes in the middle of the field. But I think that even if Trey Lance has a ways to go as a passer and he may develop over the course of this season and have some ugly moments, I think as a runner in the red zone, Shanahan is eager to make use of Trey's athletic gifts. Whether he's a complete 
player in that regard or not. I fail to see a world in which Trey Lance is playing 15 to 17 games and not going over five and a half rushing touchdowns. I think this is a smash play. Maybe my favorite prop that we've talked about so far. I just don't see a world where this doesn't go over. Finally, let's move on to the worst and last team in the NFC West, the Seattle Seahawks. The Seattle Seahawks projected over under this year is five and a half games. Their key losses are obviously Russell Wilson, franchise quarterback, uh, franchise defensive linebacker, uh, Bobby Wagner. They lose Dwayne Brown. They lose DJ Reed. They bring in some guys. They bring in Drew Locke, Noah Fant on offense. They draft Charles Cross in the first round from Mississippi State. Um, Kenneth Walker from Michigan State, um, and they bring in a defensive end, Boy Moff from Minnesota. I'm sorry if I'm butchering that name. The big question with the Seahawks really is what does this team look like post-Russell Wilson? Their schedule going into this year is just brutal. It's an abomination. They have the toughest schedule in their division based on projected win totals, projected Super Bowl odds. They play eight games, I think, against teams that are in the top quarter of the league in Super Bowl odds. Eight games against some of the best teams, some of the teams that Vegas thinks have the best shot at winning the Super Bowl. Uh, These are just some of the teams that I'm running through. They play Arizona twice. They play the Rams twice. They play the Niners twice. Then they play the Chargers, Tampa, the Broncos, the Saints, the Raiders, and the Chiefs. So a stacked AFC West and then some other ugly games against teams like Tampa who are obviously going to take care of business. On top of this, this is a team on offense that ran the least number of plays per game last year. I watched a lot of Seahawks last year with Geno Smith, with Russell Wilson, and it was disgusting to watch on offense. The preseason quotes don't exactly have me um, buying into this offense. Their coaching staff is talking a lot about Drew Locke turning back into the player he was as a rookie uh, who was converting a lot of third downs. And this is just another stat that doesn't really translate from year to year. Third down conversion rate is a highly variable statistic. So if you're banking on that from a guy who led the league in interceptions in 2020, who's gone one and nine in his last 10 starts as an NFL starter, I'm not sure. I, I have a, yeah, I have a ship to sell you in somewhere. But what concerns me most is that this is an entirely new offense, new tight end, a new quarterback. They, they bring their receivers back. They bring a running back back and Rashad Penny. I'll talk a little bit more about that. New center, new tackles. Uh, they, they have some new edge rushers on defense. Football outsiders and their amazing almanac they use. Uh, they have the Seahawks with a 27.7% chance of winning zero to five games this year. So. I agree with them very much. I'm keen on taking the under on the five and a half win total for this team. And the reason's pretty simple. I think that the Seahawks are in a soft rebuild. As much as they can rebuild, they they trade Russell Wilson. You, You sort of know where you're going. Pete Carroll has been of the mind, in the media at least, in saying that this is not a team that's rebuilding. They sort of don't believe in that. But listen, if you trade Russell Wilson and you're available to run out there with Drew Locke, if you can stomach that, then you sort of know where you're at as a franchise. Behind the scenes, we have to acknowledge the fact that the Seahawks are being sold. They have a weird ownership situation where they can't be sold until 2024. So Pete Carroll's job is likely safe until then. And to me, this just feels like a Seahawks team that will play very hard, that will likely upset one or two teams early in the season, only to have the dearth of talent on this roster, specifically up front, uh, specifically on defense, really rear its ugly head and have this team just have a miserable second half of the season to the point that they are drafting in the top five next year. I don't see a world in which the Seahawks team is not drafting in the top five next year, but they'll have some fun games, especially if they let Geno Smith play quarterback and they let Drew Locke play. They might have some fun games in which they're competitive, um, but I, I, don't, I don't see a Pete Carroll team completely rolling over, but I also don't see this team any world in which they're going over their projected five and a half wins.
finally, let's talk about some props for the Seahawks. I just have uh, one here, really, and it's Rashad Penny over 800 and a half rushing yards. So over Rashad Penny's last five games, he finally revealed himself to be the player the Seahawks thought they were drafting a few years back. Listen to his yardage totals over his last five games. 16 attempts for 137, 11 attempts for 39, 17 attempts for 135 yards, 25 attempts for 170 yards, 23 attempts for 190 yards. So this guy was just a machine at the end of the season, down the stretch, and now his only competition is a second round running back in Kenneth Walker, who anyone who watched college football the last couple of years knows Kenneth Walker is a, is a good player. Um, he's a very talented running back. He, he was in the running for the Heisman last year, but with all that said, Pete Carroll is not a guy who's been super keen on throwing running backs, I think, or rookie running backs into the mix. Rashad Penny is a guy who he's repeatedly gone back to, despite Penny basically disappointing continuously for years now. So I think Pete Carroll is going to buy into what he saw from Penny last year. I, I think that the Seahawks are going to be smart enough to rely on this running game in lieu of having a somewhat dependable quarterback. And I could see Rashad Penny going well over this 800-yard projected total. The question with him, as always, is just injury. This is a guy who's had a bunch of injuries. He's, he's been injured constantly over the last several years, and that's sort of what's prevented him from stepping into that star role. So even if Kenneth Walker does carve himself out somewhat of a role within this offense, that may not be a super detriment to Rashad Penny because it may allow Rashad Penny to remain healthy at least long enough to go over this 800.5 rushing total. This is a guy who's had bad luck, I know that people are probably going to be looking at this yardage total and betting against it because they think this is a guy who's never done it before. And on top of that, this is a guy who can't stay on the field. But I like to fade the public. I like to fade the conventional wisdom with some of these over-under picks. And that's what I'm doing with Rashad Penny over 800.5 rushing yards this year. So that concludes our NFC West preview. Thanks as always for listening. I will be back next week with a preview of the NFC South. Until then, I will talk to you guys soon. Bye now.